0: chapter 9. Uh, we'll begin at verse 35 this morning. Uh, I'd like to start by telling you this morning about a part of my ministry that I've been getting badly wrong. Now, don't, don't be too startled by that. I get stuff wrong all the time, so there's, there's no headline there. But the scale of this mistake is one that I want to admit to and one that I want to share with you it has to do with discipleship. Now, that might surprise you, because if you've been around Hamilton Road uh, during the last couple of years uh, since I've come, you'll know that I talk a lot about discipleship, calling people to be followers of Jesus, helping them to grow as faithful followers. How exactly have you been getting it wrong about discipleship, Christoph? Well, these last 20 years or so that I've been a parish minister, I think I've been selling people short. I've been inviting them to come and to be a disciple of Jesus, and that's okay to a point, but it's only half the story, and because it's only half the story, it's the wrong story. Jesus didn't call people to be disciples and leave it at that. He called people to be disciples who make disciples. He calls us not only to be disciples, but to be disciplers. Let me show you or remind you. Flick with me to Matthew 4, page 968. Matthew tells us of that time when Jesus first met with his disciples. We're going back a little bit in the story. You'll see there in chapter 4, verse 18, the moment when he calls his first disciples. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He encounters two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And he says, come, follow me, and I'll make you into good church members. No, no, wait, wait a second. He didn't say that. He says, come and follow me. I'll make you full members of the PCI. The Presbyterian Church in Israel. Nope. Come, follow me. I'll turn you into nicer people. I'll make you more middle class. I'll give you a nice life. Nope. Nope. And no. What did he say? Come, follow me. I'll make you into fishers of men. You guys know how to catch fish. I'm going to teach you how to catch people and bring them into the kingdom of God. A disciple is a discipler. Being a discipler isn't an optional extra for a super disciple. It's just part of the basic job description for any faithful follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning in our passage. So let's pick up there, chapter 9. Now back to chapter 9, verse 35 Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry. He's already done that in chapter 4, and and he repeats the summary in in chapter chapter 9. But he goes a little bit further here. He reflects on Jesus' public ministry, and he gives us a wonderful insight into the heart of Jesus. He tells us about Jesus' compassion, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. At this point and you'll remember this if you've been with us Matthew's been telling us about loads of healings that Jesus has done he's even raised somebody from the dead you'd think there's not much more to be said Uh, Jesus has has done the best for people that he could possibly have done but Matthew I think wants us to think a bit more Matthew's not content to leave it at that He, he draws our content our attention to Jesus compassion why is that I think Jesus looks at people even, even when their physical health is okay, and he still has compassion on them. Why would that be? It's because Jesus Christ knows that human beings have problems beyond their blindness and their lameness and their being mute. Whether we have our health or not, our lives are hollow. Our existence is one of futility until we've found our place in the kingdom of God. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. What do you see when you're in the crowd? When you're walking down Bangor Main Street or through Bloomfields? Are you learning to look past the surface of people's lives their evident joys, their sorrows. Can we see, as Jesus did, that without him they are lost? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Can we see it? When Jesus looked at the crowd, he had compassion on them, and he saw, too, that there was work to be done. The harvest is plentiful. There are loads of people around here. Loads of people who need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. He tells his disciples that the workers, the harvesters, are few. So he encourages them, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Up until this point in Matthew's gospel, the focus has been on Jesus himself. He's the one doing the ministry. He's the one preaching. He's the one healing and this is about to change. Now, now we see the disciples being called into action. He, he calls them to learn his compassion for, for people with, who are sheep without a shepherd. He calls them into his ministry. Whenever I make my first Bible translation and I get to choose what titles to put above the paragraphs, I'd be tempted to start chapter 10 with the heading, Be careful what you pray for. Look again at the text, verse 38 of chapter, chapter 9, sorry. Jesus has told his disciples to ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest. It's the kind of thing we pray at our prayer gathering or Bangor Worldwide Missionary Convention. And I'm going to assume that the 12 disciples did pray. They did what Jesus told them. Then, verse 5 of chapter 10, we're told that Jesus sent out these 12. You've been praying for workers for the harvest? Guess what? You're it. Go. If the 12 were surprised, they shouldn't have been. We've seen back in chapter 4, Jesus told them right at the outset what their calling was to be. Folks, I don't want us to be surprised either. That's why I'm telling you that a disciple is a discipler. If I call you to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, then I'm calling you to, to learn to invite others to be the same. Let's become a discipling team together. Let's go and make disciples together, young and old, people who are already in our church and those who aren't, people in Bangor and people across the world. This is what Jesus calls us to. Most of the rest of chapter 10 then reads like a, a bit like a seminar, a bit like a training seminar, Discipling 101. We're going to spend the rest of our time uh, this morning, looking at what Jesus teaches his disciples, we'll get as far as chapter verse 15 and we'll finish off the chapter in a couple of weeks time. There's a sense in which some of Jesus teaching here ha- has a very, uh, very specific for his times kind of a feeler things here that we wouldn't naturally try to replicate entirely. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move pretty quickly through these verses and look to see what the the transferable values are that we might uh, take to ourselves for our discipling work in 2023. I see five lessons here in these verses this morning. Jesus gives his first lesson in verses five to six. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter, enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus' first lesson on evangelism or discipling others is pretty clear. Start at home. Now, there was a very particular reason why Jesus would have done this. Jesus came initially for Israel. He worked almost exclusively in Israel. That might seem strange to us, but actually it underlines God's faithfulness to his promises something that we're thinking about in Romans on our Sunday evening services. The promises God made to Abram, to Moses, to David, they were first of all for Israel. Those promises never ceased to exist, even with the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill them. In the end, it's because Jesus fulfilled God's promises to the Jewish people that the Gentiles were eventually drawn into the church this is what God had promised Abram all those years ago. Do you remember? All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus' mission began at home. That, that's entirely consistent with the eternal purposes of God. And it proved then to be a perfect platform for a mission to the Gentile world. Folks, our Our situation is different than that of Jesus' 12 disciples in first-century Palestine. But it's still worth reflecting on our need for our outreach to have integrity at home, if it's to have integrity overseas. Whenever the risen Lord Jesus commanded his disciples uh, to to take the, the gospel message, he told them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth But not before they'd begun in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. They were to begin on their own doorstep and close to home. Many Ulster evangelical churches are full of prayerfulness and vision and giving when it comes to taking the good news of Jesus across the world to countries all over the world when it comes to the houses and streets around them they're paralyzed the irony seems to be lost on them they they're willing to to cross the world with the gospel but they seem unwilling or unable to cross the street don't don't misunderstand me i'm not in any sense undermining our our need for global overseas mission we long to see the far flung corners of the world reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what about Hamilton Road and Prospect Road? What about Kilcully and Cove Bay? Do we have the same vision for the people who live there? Or or is it too difficult for us to reach them, too demanding? I'm praying that God will lead us to the lost sheep of Ballyhome and Bangor every bit as much as those in Nigeria and Japan. Lesson one in Jesus' evangelism seminar deals with the where question. He says, begin at home. Lesson two, verse seven, deals with the what question. What are we to preach? What are the disciples to preach? As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, that shouldn't surprise us Matthew's told us repeatedly that Jesus preached this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Friends, this is still the message that people need to hear today. People need to hear that God, the creator, is king of this world. They need to hear that by rights, his son Jesus ought to be their king, king of their lives. We need to show people that if Jesus isn't king of their lives, then they're living a life of rebellion. They need to repent, to turn around. Jesus must become their king. We would tell people that all of this is possible only through God's grace. In our rebellion, in our sin, we stand under God's judgment. He's a righteous judge. But thanks be to God, he accepts the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ, his perfect son, as full payment for our rebellion. As we trust in him, he forgives us our sins. As we rely on him, he gives us his spirit. He frees us to live new lives in relation to him. We live now in the kingdom of God. That's the good news that we get to share, that we must share today. Begin at home. Preach the kingdom. In verse 8, Jesus shares lesson number three. Don't just preach the kingdom. Demonstrate its presence. He tells his disciples to heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And of course, that's, that's all what Jesus has been doing in these last couple of chapters, chapters eight and nine. In effect, he's telling his disciples, you've seen what I've done, you do it. You've heard what I've said, say it. Folks, I haven't preached many of these healing passages over the last few weeks, uh, so I haven't had much chance to say what, what I think's going on. Jesus' healing ministry and his mighty deeds, they, they serve to demonstrate the truth of his words. He's telling people that the kingdom has come and then he's showing them by what he's doing. We can't perform the same level of dramatic healing that Jesus performed. It doesn't seem to be Jesus' desire that we do so. In Matthew 28, there's no mention of healing in his commands that we we take the great commission to the world. There were dramatic healings in the earliest days of the early church. And I am persuaded that God can and still does heal miraculously today. But it doesn't seem to be the norm. And it may not be wise for us to expect miraculous healings as the norm for us. We won't all be able to heal in that same dramatic way that Jesus did, but the basic principle still holds true, and it is this. Whenever we speak of the kingdom of God, we should expect to see demonstrations of it. People who hear us preach the kingdom should expect to see signs that the kingdom is real and evident among a real group of people. It's so much easier for me to preach the kingdom of God, to invite people into it, if I can look at this gathering and say, look, this is what it looks like. These people loving one another. These people living lives full of the Holy Spirit. Lesson three, don't just preach the kingdom, demonstrate it. Lesson four, verses nine to 10, keep it simple. Jesus tells his disciples, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. Again, you probably wouldn't plan to take a staff with you if you were going on a mission trip. This isn't legally binding on all the, the whole church through all of time. But there's a, a very general and very helpful lesson for those of us who want to share the gospel. Travel light, keep it simple. As someone who had the privilege of replanting a church with very limited resources in a culture not at all different than this, I have to say I could never understand the clamoring I heard from so many different churches uh, about needing more resources if they were gonna do mission. We can't do mission. We don't have enough money. Our building isn't big enough or beautiful enough. Our staff team isn't big enough. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. We don't need any of these things to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. All we need is our obedient selves, open to the power of God's Spirit working in us and through us. We don't need a penny in our pockets. We don't need a building. We don't need a program. We don't need anything other than our obedient selves. Lesson five, verses 11 to 15. Don't expect everyone to respond positively. Jesus begins to teach his disciples that not everyone will will welcome them not everyone will receive the message of the gospel when they bring it verses 12 to 13 he he tells them how they should respond to different levels of hospitality they'll receive on their mission trip as you enter the home give it your greeting if the home is deserving let your peace rest on it if it's not let your peace return to you what's what's Jesus talking about how can a home be deserving or not I think I think what we see here is Jesus lack of sentimentality, Jesus willingness to be honest and to be real. A home deserves God's peace only if that home is open to God's Son and the good news about him. Any home that doesn't welcome Jesus and the good news about him can't possibly know substantially the peace of God. I find this very challenging in regards to our pastoral work here at Hamilton Road. I'd love nothing more than to go to every home of every member who's on paper, a member of this congregation, and to to pray God's blessing and leave convinced that God's blessing, God's presence really is there. I'd love nothing more But Jesus reminds us that there can't be any real blessing in a home where people reject Him. How can God truly bless people who reject the very greatest goodness that He offers them in His Son, Jesus? How can people who stand aloof from God's grace receive from Him? Jesus continues with this hard... Message verse 14. He says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. This idea of shaking dust off your feet seems seems strange to us. It, it was a very real thing in Jesus' day. Jews of Jesus' day, if they went to visit a gentile community. They'd shake the dust off their feet as they were coming back into their own community. It was a way of leaving uncleanness behind. It was a way of, of, of saying, well, well, those people are not me. Those people are not my people. It's something that the New Testament Christians actually practiced. So if you read Acts, you'll see that Paul in his missionary journeys, chapter 13, chapter 18 shakes dust off his feet, shakes out his clothes. He moves from a community that says no to the gospel of Jesus to go to one that will hopefully say yes. Folks, Jesus' teaching is challenging at this point. And I want you to to hear it properly. We know that Jesus loved people. We've seen it even in today's passage Where did we start today? Chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd who seeks lost sheep. But yet, it seems that there's a point where he says we must move on. If we have found people and we have shared with them the good news of the gospel. And if we have done that repeatedly, and we find that those people would prefer to stay lost, we must respect their choice. If people repeatedly and persistently demonstrate a disinterest in the gospel, the time comes when we should move on to those who haven't yet heard it. We shouldn't take any of this lightly. I don't, and I don't because Jesus didn't. In verse 15, Jesus spells out the eternal consequences of those, for those who reject the gospel. I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town, that is that place that rejects the gospel. Hard words, not the kind of words I would ever choose to preach, but the kind of words I must preach if i have to be faithful to the whole message of God's Word. Folks, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were notorious. God destroyed them both as a judgment on their sin. These cities became symbols right throughout the whole of Scripture, as, as the place where, where God's judgment is most clearly seen, God's judgment on those who reject him. But Jesus tells us in our passage that the final penalty for those who reject him will be worse. He couldn't make it clearer what's at stake for each one of us and for those with whom we share the gospel. As I close this morning, I want to have two questions for two types of people that we are this morning. As I close, let me invite you to look for yourself at the warning of verses 14 and 15. Glance down at the text. Look what Jesus says to those who hear the message of the gospel but refuse to accept it. And I ask you, are you ready to accept the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news that though you are a rebel, though you stand outside his kingdom, you are welcome to lay down your arms to surrender and to come and join the king. Are you ready to start living the life that you were created for, life in the kingdom of God? Are you ready to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I pray that you are. And let me tell you, this church exists to help you, to help you come to Jesus. I have a second question. For those of us who have already entered life in the kingdom, who are already disciples, a different question Can we learn to see what Jesus sees? Sheep without a shepherd. Can we cultivate the kind of compassion that he had for the harassed and the helpless? Are we ready to become what we say we want to be, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, that is, disciples who make disciples? Let us pray.